So who do we trust, huh? Like always, me and Dee. Welcome to Me and the and 3, a Starsky and Hutch fan podcast. I'm Monica. I'm Jen. And I'm Rachel. It's finally spring. It is! It's so warm and beautiful. I still don't trust it. We had a snowstorm like a week ago. I do not trust it. I think I think spring is here to stay. It has sprung? Would you say it has sprung? <laughs> Maybe. No. No, I would not. Well, we are all uh, sitting on the couch as usual. Um, oh, you know what? It's episode 10. Oh, happy it, 10th episode. Ha- yeah. Happy, happy 10th anniversary. We've hit double digits. What anniversary is 10? I don't know. Okay. It's, <laughs> it's some substance probably. Right, like paper or silver. I think paper is like the one year. Actually, it's totally regional. Like Really? Yeah, yeah. Um. It depends on, like, where you are, what country you're in. It's it's a real regional thing. So it's basically whatever we want it to be. Well, now I want to Google this, but Jen Googling things is not high entertainment for our <laughs> listeners. So uh, maybe we'll come back to that later. <laughs> what I was going to say uh, was that in addition to celebrating our 10th episode, we recently celebrated... My birthday, and Monica made me a very silly and delightful video, and we may be posting a segment of it to our website because it is using some audio from a previous podcast and applying it over some Starsky and Hutch images and and scenes and clips, and Monica's very good at vidding. Thank you. It's part of a genre I would call crack vids, and it's my first time making a crack vid. Although I think it maybe isn't completely in that genre, but I, I've I've never vidded to anything other than music before, so it was funny to um, vid over spoken word and also just make a lot of really silly jokes. Um, I'm sure some of you are aware of the Dear Sister meme, and I applied that meme to uh, some Starsky and Hutch and to some Magnum Force. So good! Apparently, the 10th anniversary gift aluminum <laughs> All noises tin- that the thing is picking up. Thank you. Is, is tin or aluminum. So, to our 10th. Oh, so maybe for Starsky and Hutch's 10th anniversary, they can... Uh, <laughs> Starsky I have gives a drinking Hutch, problem. Starsky gives Hutch a, the tin can. They have canonically, Starsky has canonically given Hutch a car. Maybe that was their 10th anniversary. It could have been. We don't know. The The headcanon's super inconsistent. So <laughs> we can imagine that. 10th anniversary of knowing each other. 10th anniversary is partners. It doesn't matter. 10th anniversary is partners. <laughs> Again, doesn't matter. I'd not like to be precise. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
probably 10th anniversary of partners. 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 Speaking of long (laughs) partnerships, I have low self-control and I bought a zine. I've... You know what? Let me just grab it. Zines. Zines. Oh. So you should have picked it up before we started recording. Oh, whatever. I wasn't sure if I was. <laughs> the zine is called Evolution. Oh, it's so gorgeous. It's got gorgeous cover art, and here's them like at the beginning of their partnership. Oh, and here's, hands. Yep, and I love the the covers sort of mirror each other with them standing next to each other. Uh, one earlier in their partnership and one later with their, with them looking a little older and their their body posture sort of mirrors each other. It's great. All getting a chance to show off their best assets front yep. and back. <laughs> and it's by uh, Dana Austin Marsh and they decided to do a reprint and it was a very limited reprint. So I, I jumped on and got a copy and I've only just started reading it, but it's great so far. Awesome! I'm gonna have to borrow that from you sometime. Oh, definitely. <laughs> it's exciting, and I just like having, especially that like season one or two ish uh, fan art just sitting there on our coffee table. They're looking. It's so pretty. It's very good art, and they're very pretty, and it's just it's just nice. Yeah, the concept of the story, as far as I understand, again, I've just begun it, is that right before they begin at the police academy. They meet at a gay bar and have a fling and then leave. And then that's all I've read so far. But then they meet up at the academy and I'm not sure how that's all going to go down. But my understanding is it sort of follows along the events of the show just with the change being that occasionally they sleep with each other. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out and affect uh, the different events of the show. Nice. Oh, that's so cool. That is awesome. Yeah, that's, um, I th- I think only the second zine I've ever bought in my life. And the first one was also Starsky and Hutch. And I, I think zines are really interesting. I still have it. Whoops. Oh, <laughs> you too. Jericho by Molo. Yep, I have that. I will get, th- I will read and get it back to you. That's fine. Don't worry. I- I've been thinking about my time in fandom and all the different fan products, both official and unofficial I've bought in all the different fandoms I've been in. And I think the closest I've ever come to buying a zine before Starsky and Hutch fandom was a uh, anthology of Tony Stark. And it's maybe closer to Dojoinchi. Okay. Yeah. Dojoinchi. Do you know who, cause, cause it has English stuff. Technically it's not Dojinshi and that's, and that's only Japanese and that's very okay. specific. But there is but Japanese Dojinshi content inspired. in it. Like, I mean, it's more, it's more to that tradition a little bit, I would say maybe. Okay. Um, but it does have fic in it. Yes. It's got fic, it's got art, it's got fan comics. Part of it's in English, part of it's in Japanese. But other than that, I, I've not bought physical copies of fic before. And I think that's uh, a very different experience from reading fic online. And so um, I think it's the kind of thing that, you know, if you get the chance and if you can afford it, it's it's fun to buy some zines uh, just to see what the difference is. 
I have lots of zines, but they're they're all like current ones, uh, or or doujinshi, as as the case is. So like, although although again, I'm not gonna get it for a while. But I did order. Okay, so I ordered a script, an original Starsky and Hutch, a script. And I also, in that order, I also ordered uh, a couple of fanzines, so, because they were pretty cheap. Nice. So. I look forward to it. Yeah. <laughs> I have never purchased the zine, but I've enjoyed flipping through the copies at the Iowa archives, so I am all for flipping through things. And, uh, well, I don't know if we're transitioning to that quite yet. It would be a useful segue. I was thinking of finding a way to transition. Do you have one in mind or do you want me to go ahead? Well, I was just going to say that uh, obviously we've been interested in the history of this fandom and the history of zines in this fandom. And recently we watched the setup for the first time for me, second time for Monica and Rachel. No, third time for me. Third time. Wow. <laughs> you are you are dedicated to the Black Baron. <laughs> Or, or to figuring out how exactly that plot works. It really does make more sense the more you watch it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we watched it, and we're going to talk about it a little bit, because it's a weird episode, and, or episodes, and it's worth talking about. But we also, specifically, were watching it so that we could read through Mojave Crossing by Connie Faddis. And I think Monica knows more of the context for the history of that. I do, and I wanted to take a step back because as someone who grew up with internet fandom, I think that sometimes uh, print fandom can be kind of mysterious. A lot of it's pretty straightforward. Instead of reading your fic online, you read your fic on, you know, printed paper. But I, I, when I was younger, I was often curious, how did these fans find each other? How did uh, zines that weren't all from one author, how did... Uh, these people like look for stories from other people and I've, I've learned through various fan lore pages through reading a lot of zines and letter zines at the Iowa archive and from hearing older fans talk about uh, the process but I was tracing the uh, history of Mojave Crossing and I thought it was kind of interesting it starts in Connie Faddis's living room apparently and she was a Star Trek fan, and she was uh, very active in Star Trek and Kirk Spock fandom specifically. And she went to a lot of cons, and she submitted to Star Trek zines. And a bunch of fans were at her place, and they decided to start what they called a review zine, which was created for the express purpose of helping fans connect, uh, contact each other. And uh, they called it Scuttlebutt. And... They made it as cheaply as possible so that anyone could afford to get this. And basically it had calls for submissions to zines. It had people listed the zines that they were selling. If you were looking for a specific zine, you could ask about it. They had reviews of zines because, as someone pointed out, when you're putting money into something and not just time, people are more selective about what they want to buy. It was it was just a very cheap way to contact people and get these zines made. And in the very first issue of Scuttlebutt, which was uh, put out in May of 1977, they asked for submissions for a Starsky and Hutch scene. And this was the very first ever Starsky and Hutch scene. 
It was Zebra 3. And issue one of Zebra 3 came out later in 1977. And that zine was 180 pages long. It went for 4 or $5. And it's very well regarded. It had two very long stories, including Mojave Crossing. It had a lot of short stories. It had poetry. It had an essay about the appeal of Starsky and Hutch. It had trivia quizzes, cartoons. It had a Star Wars parody. Star Wars had just come out uh, the summer before, I think. And I think, I think that's all I have to say about Zebra 3. And Mojave Crossing is by Connie Faddis. Uh, she did the art as well as the story. It's one of the most famous Hurt Comfort fic in the fandom. Like, and, you know, we read this because everyone was reading it. It just recently went up on the net site, um, although you could previously get it as a PDF on its fanlore page. And so I'm sure all of you have read it. If you haven't, we're going to spoil everything. So maybe, you know, maybe you want to get on that if you do want to read it without being spoiled. But yeah. But it's likely that a lot of you have already read it. I mean, yes. I I think out of everyone, there would be no more than one person who'd be like, oh, nope, I haven't actually gotten around to reading it yet, so. And I feel like the statute of limitations on spoilers for a 40-year-old Vic is Well, yeah, but you know, it's easy to go and read. It's only 32,000 words. (laughs) So Mojave Crossing is a direct follow-up to the setup two-parter from season two. And um, it was written very shortly after the episode aired. I don't know quite how shortly, but this was written while the show was still on. And I think maybe this would be a good time to talk a little bit about the setup, because wow, those two episodes are bonkers. (laughs) Oh my god. Okay, so you, Monica, you knew going in that there was brainwashing. Yes. Jen didn't, and I didn't. I knew nothing going into this episode, and Monica and Rachel were with me when I watched it, and they kept going like, pay attention to this, pay attention to that, and I have zero attention span, and I'm often not looking at the screen when I'm watching TV. I'm basically the weak link of this podcast. That is to no one's surprise. Uh, (laughs) So I, I was paying attention, and I do remember... Noticing early on that, like, when, what's his face, Terry, is in the hotel room and looking at a picture of him and his wife, I was like, why is the background different in the two halves of those pictures? That just looks like bad, like, 70s photo editing. But I thought it was a prop department mistake. But it, it was, in actuality, something planted there to give some clues. So because of things like that, I was kind of impressed with the, the groundwork laid for this not being what it appeared to be. That said, everything that follows is bananas. This was one of the episodes I live tweeted on my Twitter. I was just shouting all the time, being like, what's going on? And like, and at the end, I'm, you know, when we see the lady, I'm like, oh my God, is it brainwashing? It's brainwashing. Like that was a complete surprise. And it was such a delight. And actually rewatching it like more and more, you know, you, you catch different things. And I, I really appreciate it. I think it's a good two-parter. It's a little weird, but... I, I appreciate it, too. Honestly, the plot where Terry's entire background and the things he believes are real have been stripped away, and he keeps trying to prove uh, his story to Starsky and Hutch, but every time he tries, 
the evidence has been uh, whisked away. And so he's looking, you know, guilty to Starsky and Hutch. Normally that kind of plot I hate, but honestly, Starsky and Hutch half believe him from the start. And I think it also helps that they don't linger too long on that. Pretty soon they find some evidence uh, at the the Catholic school and then later at the bank, or maybe it's the other way around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Starsky and Hutch firmly believe Terry Nash. But I, I like that Starsky and Hutch treat Terry with seriousness even before they particularly believe him. And then honestly, my favorite part is just the second part, the Black Baron, and then them storming a castle in the desert. Because (laughs) it's just so crazy. Why is there a castle in the desert? But them storming it is just great. And I love them like scaling the walls and like... (laughs) Some good shots there. Yeah, peering through binoculars, uh, Starsky with the grenade. That's great. The whole castle sequence just is very fun to me. So great. Oh my god. And I love... I love Starsky and Hutch. I mean, it's not just them because they've got Terry and they've got Huggy and Dobie and the Baron. So they're not alone, but they are still basically it's them against the world. Yes. Because, like, the official feds are after them. The evil organization is after them. It's it's great. I want to start using the word binoculars instead of slash goggles to refer to. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay. Just say it, because I always say binoculars, but if you, like, really emphasize the bi at the front of that, that is mm-hmm. how we analyze Starsky and Hutch's romantic lives. I mean, yes. Through binoculars. <laughs> it's true. I mean, that, that's how I view everyone. <laughs> everyone in my eyes. It's, I just have permanent binoculars on. Oh my god, this is the best. <laughs> Sorry, that did not actually contribute to this conversation. <laughs> no, it, it contributed to my life. <laughs> that's the important part. There, there are a lot of delightful things about this episode. And I also, okay, I think the, the castle in the desert and the Black Baron's eccentricities were supposed to be weird and like off the wall. But I think when we started Googling around after watching the episode uh, or after they watched the episode with me, realizing how close this episode was to the revelations about MK Ultra and other things that the government was trying to do with brainwashing at a time when we didn't know what those limitations were, um, when we didn't know how much of it was nonsense and totally ineffective. I can totally see how this had more stakes in a show that, with a few exceptions, is pretty realistic and and close to the ground. I think this was right after the psychic, though. <laughs> well, okay. There, there's also that, but I, I can see how within the context mm-hmm. of when this was being filmed, this seemed like a plausible thing that could happen to our heroes. And I, in a different show that relied more on serialized narrative, I could see this coming back again. There were definitely some loose ends, which knowing that it never comes back again are frustrating, but could have proved interesting down the line. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a production issue there in that they fully intended to, but because the episodic nature of the show in general, they just never managed to do it, you know, yeah. for, for whatever powers that be, you know, be interesting. I would know. love to be able to get some answers about what 
various uh, Starsky and Hutch episodes, how how various scenes came to pass. I've used the word opaque to describe some Starsky and Hutch <laughs> scenes in the past. A lot of a lot of scenes feel kind of opaque to me, where I would love to sit down with the writer of the episode or the director and ask, "What message were you trying to get across for this, or what was the idea behind that?" And definitely, the setup would have some questions. One of the characters mentions uh, the secretary, and I can only assume that they mean uh, the secretary of the state or something like that. So they're definitely trying to imply that the government is doing this or involved in this project somehow, even though, you know, it's some mysterious syndicate. We don't really know who's in charge here. And it seems it seems like it's the government for sure. And I think okay, this is not a political podcast, so I'm not going to get deeply into it. But I think we are millennials. We were born after Watergate, long after Watergate. And I think it's hard, although becoming less difficult, to think back to that level of distrust of the government in the wake of of everything that happened with Watergate. And so I think, you know, thinking about this, thinking about, like, the Captain America plot, the Secret Empire, um, which would have been approximately contemporaneous with this, the idea that the government is probably doing some shady stuff that they're not telling us about and that there's tape recordings and that there's, you know, people who are not doing things in the best interests of the people, despite their high positions of power. I can see how those ideas had a lot of purchase at the time in a way that uh, I think me growing up, I, I don't think I realized in the same way. Yeah, I think half of it was by then the surprise had worn off. So half of it is that, of course, our government is doing Mm -hmm. shady things. And then the other half is, well, at least they're not anymore dosing people with LSD to try to brainwash (laughs) them. (laughs) Although maybe they still are. Who knows? I mean, that's the point of it being secret. Yeah, I think, Jen, you told me that MKUltra, the the LSD brainwashing project, had just become public knowledge the year before this mm-hmm. episode came out. I pulled from the headlines So at that, like, the end of the 70s, people were just like, who even knows? And, like, at this point, everything. We finally got out of Vietnam, but everything is still terrible. Like, I I don't even know. They, they had lost the ability to can. <laughs> To use our dirty millennial talk. <laughs> so, considering that a very powerful syndicate with possibly the full force of the government behind it has just been blown wide open by Starsky and Hutch and some of their friends, <laughs> it's easy to look at the end of this episode in which nothing is really resolved and think, wow, there are going to be people people coming after Starsky and Hutch. They're not safe. They're, they've they just, you know, stepped on a hornet's nest. And uh, I think that Mojave Crossing does a good job of exploring what happens when, you know, some more of the hornets come after them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this, this is an episode that was begging for a follow-up. And that's, for the sake of producing fic, the best kind of episode, because we need to rush in and fill the gap. Uh, or at least Connie Faddis did. I wonder if there's others. 
post setup fic. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm also not sure if that's... I mean, it's not one of the slashier episodes, certainly. It's... Well, yes, but remember, we'll get into this, but this was a genfic. Sure, a (laughs) genfic. I I think it's a good episode to write a follow-up for if you're looking to kind of dig more into the world of the episode, which is political and dangerous. So it's not necessarily the most obvious hurt comfort episode to go for, especially since neither Starsky nor Hutch gets hurt during the episode, and there's so many episodes where they do get hurt. But the danger is definitely present there, and Connie Faddis did a good job of keeping that danger level at a very... uh, intense pace that does come to quite the crescendo and I I think she did a really good job of making a very exciting follow-up story to Mm -hmm. this episode. You know what I really like about it is that like in many ways it felt like an episode like it felt it felt to me like it very much slotted in you know I could see in my head very clearly the actors doing these things you know Mm -hmm. I could see I could see the the layout of the plot across the episode, you know, so I thought it was a spe- and then, you know, you got the funny tag that we didn't get with the setup part three, uh, part two, because uh, there was no cute tag at the end, or any tag at all, you know, it was, I think that was actually one of the most interesting things about the setup part two is that it doesn't end, like, every single other episode. That's with, a like, good point. With, like, a yeah. tag of some kind. Yeah. Because is- usually the only episodes without tags are the ones that are a part one mm-hmm. or, you know, in the case of uh, Targets of the Badge, a, a part two, uh, something where, you know, it's immediately continuing from there. Mm-hmm. But this should have been the conclusion. And yet, like, even in really serious episodes, they managed to have a tag with a little bit of humor. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in the tag to Mojave Crossing does feel that more lighthearted uh, ending that Starsky and Hutch usually has. But to jump to the very beginning of Mojave Crossing, I really appreciated that they were playing Monopoly. <laughs> yes. The lightheartedness of that opening scene where uh, they're arguing over Monopoly and they're bored and Starsky turns on the TV and it's Man from Uncle. And I love that because that's a spy show where the government has all sorts of like spy plots going on and you know, they're about to get attacked by brainwashed assassins. So <laughs> so the, the significance of Man from Uncle playing on the TV was not lost on me. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, like, other than how early it is, there's a lot of really good reasons for why this fic has stuck around in people's imaginations and memories. Like, it, it may... It's not going to push everyone's specific buttons, but just on a basic storytelling and writing level the like the language is strong the descriptions of action and atmosphere are really strong which is important when a lot of the fake is crossing a desert and the dialogue feels right for the characters there's a really well-developed awesome original character like these are all things where even if Hurt Comfort is not particularly your jam. And it's not particularly mine. It's Monica's thing. Uh, <laughs> but for I like me, I can take... I think they're just the hurt. <laughs> I, I 
you know, I usually, yeah, I usually want just the hurt or just the comfort. I think I, the balance is not necessary. And, and often I don't need physical hurt as part of the hurt. But I think as an example of that, that genre, it is uh, exemplary. And there's a lot of hurt. And I think the advantage of, of doing it as a follow-up to an episode without a lot of hurt is that you can hurt them in all sorts of creative and original ways. Okay, okay. I do want to say, like, you, you guys you guys described it as intense because you guys ended up reading it before I did. And admittedly, I didn't think it was that intense. I thought it was pretty moderate. I mean, yeah, their lives are in danger and, like, Hutch almost dies. For sure, that's a thing. But I think it's because I read a lot of torture fic. <laughs> it was very much like, okay, yeah, no, you know, exposure to the elements and some wounds from assassination attempts. Solid hurt. Solid hurt. It was great hurt. But I'm just saying, it wasn't, I, I was expecting a different degree when you said intense than no, you're, I felt it you're was. Right. I, I think when I said intense, I was incorporating the intensity of their danger level I think a lot of the fic, they're low-level hurt. Starsky's sick from some poison gas, um, and there's, you know, some, like, heat exhaustion. But they're not too badly off for a lot of the fic. But the the sense of danger, I felt, was pretty intense throughout it. That they know there are people coming after them uh, when they find the trackers on the truck, and then almost immediately they're gunshots. Uh, the sense that they're out in the desert with just, like, small you know, caves and holes to, like, hide in, and that to get from point A to point B, they have to run out into the open. I feel like that was intense for me. And then Starsky gets some shrapnel in his eyes and is temporarily blinded. That, I think, works very well, but it's true. In the grand scheme of Hurt Comfort fic, that's certainly not nearly as bad as some stuff I've read. For me... What makes this intense hurt comfort is Hutch getting so badly wounded that he's saying goodbye to Starsky and Starsky believing that this is his goodbye with Hutch and saying his goodbye too. And then the relief he sort of has when he thinks he's going to die a day after Hutch is going to. I, I feel that that goodbye scene between them was a level of intense hurt comfort that ranks up there with some of the worst for a comfort fix I've read. And by worst, I mean best. Yes. <laughs> uh, that, okay, yes, that is absolutely a, a, a great description of intense and applies to this fic. Absolutely. And oh my god, that, well, at least he would be gone tomorrow! <laughs> oh. I think for me, there were a number of things that made it feel really intense for me. First, like, I don't read a lot of plotty fanfiction in general, and I think a lot of fic has trouble having even one conflict. And this had a lot of different conflicts that were being resolved. Like, if we want to go back to sort of English 101, you've got the man versus man and the man versus nature and the man versus self all happening at once and all needing to be resolved. And I'm referring specifically to Maggie's arc with the sort of coming to terms with herself and her history and, and her grief as the man versus self. But I think the fact that it's nailing all of these different conflicts, and also, I did not know what the parameters of this fic were going in, and I didn't know if Starsky would be blinded permanently, and I didn't know if one of them was going to die. 
you know, including Maggie, possibly, because I didn't know. I know apparently Monica told me that this uh, zine had a rule that there was no death fic, but I didn't know that going in. And I was reading this out loud and I'm reading it out loud as my first time reading it. So it's not like I'm recording a pod fic after having enjoyed a fic. I am encountering these words for the first time as they come out of my mouth. And so reading scenes like that mutual, like dying goodbye scene out loud for the first time was really emotionally wrenching. And I was sort of exhausted by the end of, of some of those chapters. Like, oh, wow, that was a lot that I just got through. So it was really intense for me for all of those reasons. Mm-hmm. I should say thank you, Jen, for reading out loud to me. I tried not to stumble too much. You didn't, you didn't. She read one or two chapters a night for a week or so, and it was very enjoyable. That's the other thing. I don't read a lot of long fic. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is like the perfect length, I think, because sometimes it's a little hard to read, you know, things that are 50, 60, 120, 200K. It's, it gets a little long, and I have this problem with novels as well. But this was like, no, you could spend like, you know, a few hours in an afternoon reading it, you know, and it was, it ha- it was long enough to have a lot of stuff going on but short enough to be able to do that in a really great time, like in a short time period. So this is, this is like the sweet spot length for me, I think. See, I cannot remember the last time I read a fic in its entirety that was longer than 10K. I tend to be a skimmer. I think one of the reasons that Monica asked me to read this aloud to her is so I could prove I'd read every word <laughs> rather than just skimming it. And I tend to be a fairly slow reader. So I, I think this is longer than I would usually open up on my own, but I'm really glad that I did. One thing that struck me is that sometimes when I read older fic, I find the language is a bit more flowery than the fic that I'm used to reading. And I'm not saying that's just a then versus now divide. It varies by fandom. It varies by author. But I felt that this fic didn't feel dated to me. I felt the the language... And part of it might have been that so much of it was set in this secluded desert and it was sort of stripped down. There there were flowery descriptions of the desert, but I would say most of the language was pretty straightforward. I think that very novelistic approach... Yeah, there's a puppy outside. <laughs> Sorry, I just like went in front of Monica to look at a puppy out the window. <laughs> that novelistic approach really worked for me. Although I, I don't want to make it sound like I only like fic in a certain style, I happily read fic in many different styles. But this style felt kind of timeless to me. Yeah, I, I actually had to remind myself, like, wait, when was this written? Was this written, you know, like, early 80s? And I was like, no, 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 this is, like, 1977, not 2017, even though, like, those 40 years could have not existed, like... There's no way I would actually have been able to date it if someone had just handed it to me and been like, Mm -hmm. when was this written, you know? And I think for me, uh, like, it felt very novelistic, which is, I think, part of the reason it doesn't feel dated. It, It feels, it feels like the, the style that I would find not necessarily in fanfic, but in published writing. And I, that's not always a clear dichotomy. And obviously this is fic, but it didn't have the markers I associate with fanfiction from the the 70s. And I also think the ways in which it was a product of its time, for the most part, are really useful. 
like when they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the car, being able to describe what a car from the 70s looks like under the hood and how you would go about fixing it or what happens, you know, at a roadside diner in 1977. These are things that if I was trying to write it now, I would either get things wrong or so obsessively research that it feels like I am giving a book report on 70s diners. So I think the the ease of the familiarity with the world really benefited the fic. And I don't know how familiar Connie Fattis is with the actual Mojave Desert, but I felt like all of those descriptions also seemed really realistic and believable and specific in a way that was really pleasing to me. I would be very surprised if Connie Faddis was not familiar with the Mojave Desert. Granted, she could be. People are capable of researching and describing things they've never seen. But it was very evocative. And being able to do that without Google. Right. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, I can't imagine checking out a bunch of library books about the Mojave Desert in order to write that fic. That seems... Cumbersome, but doable. It's doable, but, but certainly... It takes a lot of of effort and planning and forethought and not just, you know, Googling to find out what, like, Czech circumcision practices are for five minutes. (laughs) It was was the first example of a thing I've done uh, in in my past writing that I could come up with. Sorry, guys. Speaking of the Mojave Desert, this this is quite tangential. But with all the descriptions of it, I really wanted to, like, go and play Fallout New Vegas because that's where that game is set, is the Mojave Desert in this post-apocalyptic world with, like, a 50s aesthetic. And then I really wanted the AU where Starsky and Hutch are in Fallout New Vegas. So there might be a ficklet on that sometime soon. Nice. I'm just saying. I've not played that game, but that aesthetic sounds very strong. I'd read that fic. (laughs) It's so good. I was Googling Mojave Crossing because I wanted to see other people's commentary. And I was getting results for a convention center that is technically in Arizona, but is at the point where Arizona, Nevada, and California meet. Um, And it is called Mojave Crossing. And there was also apparently a novel by Louis L'Amour, which I would... I didn't find uh, specific evidence that it was inspiration for this fic, but... Given the plot summary of Louis L'Amour's uh, Mojave Crossing being about uh, leading someone across the desert because they're nefarious people trying to track you down, I would not be surprised if it was part of the inspiration, especially because it shares a title. So I, I think, I don't even know where I was going with that. Just things it's- I found when I Googled Mojave Crossing. But also, I, I think it indicates that it's playing with a very particular set of tropes based on a place and a time, and I think the fic is richer for it. I think there was one moment that we wanted to discuss, because we mentioned earlier that this is a gen fic, and that Zebra 3 actually did have a no-slash rule, but that in the (laughs) second-to-last chapter... There's a scene where Hutch is in the hospital bed. Starsky is still in the hospital, but he's snuck out of his room to go visit Hutch. And they're holding hands. Starsky is still uh, temporarily blind. 
and Hutch has just woken up and they're basically reaffirming their bond after both of them thinking that they were going to die. And that scene is full of love and it could be platonic love. And platonic love is deep and great and beautiful. And men are completely capable of having these deep platonic loving relationships with each other. But the way they describe this, they, they describe a crackling energy between them <laughs> and the difficulty of them saying their emotions to each other, which is strange because Starsky and Hutch don't have a lot of trouble sharing their emotions no, with each other. No, they're very expressive. Yeah, <laughs> and and sort of this idea that things are shifting and changing. Can and, I read it? Yes, read it. Okay. <laughs> the intensity between them almost crackled. Hutch tried to turn his wrist, take his friend's hand, and Starsky slipped his fingers into Hutch's palm. They clung together, saying nothing for a while. Hey, buddy, listen, Hutch breathed. He felt an overwhelming need to put words to the confusion of emotions bubbling inside him. This person, this human being with the crooked grin plastered on his face, the tears drying on his cheeks, the living warmth in his hand, how much they had been through together. It could not be grasped in a cohesive thought. I love you, man. Hutch remembered it. The memory was clouded by pain and the sensation of hallucination that memories of pain always carried, but he knew it had been said. He remembered how he had tried to tell Starsky what he felt, too. Starsk! Starsky held his breath, bowed his head slightly, waiting. He knew that tone to Hutch's voice. Something heavy was coming. It had to. Inevitable. Necessary. He was a little afraid, but he also wanted it. If they were to come back to life, leave the pain behind, they had to recoup the lightness. And the only way to do that would be to acknowledge, not ignore or deny, the truth between them. The things I said when I thought I was going to die, Hutch went on, I meant them. Starsky's heart was trying very hard to pound its way out through his chest. Curiously, his usual reaction, which would have been to grin and say something asinine, didn't grab him. Defenses down, he bit his lip, flustered. He couldn't belittle what had passed between them. I know, partner, he said. So did I. Hutch's grip tightened, and he sniffled. Reaching his other hand to clasp Hutch's between both of his, Starsky somehow got the IV tube snarled around his wrist. Jesus, he giggled, because if he didn't laugh, he was going to cry again. This is a hell of a way to eat dinner. Or is it lunchtime? Hutch smiled helplessly. The electricity was still there, but it was bouncing mirthfully between them, reverbing, feeding on itself. Yeah, I know that I am a slasher and I, I tend to read things queerly, but that feels hella queer to me. <laughs> the truth between them! That they couldn't deny or ignore exactly. the confusion of emotions. I, I just, I don't know how else to read it. And it's also significant that for the most part, Connie Fattis keeps a very tight third person limited point of view that switches per chapter. So sometimes it's Hutch, sometimes it's Starsky, and sometimes it's Maggie. But in this chapter, it gets all tangled up. It's in Hutch's point of view, and then it's in Starsky's point of view, and then it's in Hutch's point of view. And it seems to wander sometimes within paragraphs. And you could consider that an error, but I think they're so 
there's there's such an attempt there to evoke this mingling of their energies on a very literal level that they sort of become this one being this this one mind together and it's hard to read that platonically soulmates <laughs> they are soulmates and a lot of authors do explore that idea that there's so much overlap between Starsky and Hutch that there's a point of of merging where there's confusion where one starts and the other ends and I think I, it hadn't occurred to me, but you're right that the jumping POV could be a way to signify that. And I really like that that reading of it. It's one of my favorite tropes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I I don't want to say that there's no way that this could be Jen, because Jen is such a vague term that, that can contain many things. But this very much reads like the beginning of a new chapter in their relationship and I could very like clearly see a sequel story being them being a full on slash story. Yeah. So it's like, hmm, what did I don't know if Connie Faddis wrote Starsky Hutch slash, but I'm pretty sure on fan lore it said she wrote Kirk Spock slash. So I feel like it's possible that she read the relationship between Starsky and Hutch as slashy, but this was her writing a gen fic and kind of letting letting as much slash as possible through that she could. Okay, yeah. slash isn't allowed. Well, here's the slashiest gen story you're gonna get. It's, it's <laughs> dancing right up to the line. I mean, I hate the phrase pre-slash, but if ever it were to apply, this is it. And obviously there's no sex, so it, it wasn't, you know, violating the rules, especially because they know the sex no sex line seems to have been much stronger in determining slash or gen in the past. I think you have a lot more G-rated slash fic these days that you you wouldn't have had. I, I think that added to the assumption that slash always meant porn, which if you read some people's uh, early definitions of, of slash, it winds up blurring that line. And I think this still counts as Jen because they don't technically hook up, but it's barely counting as Jen, in my opinion. I I can empathize with writing a story that you're not quite sure how to categorize it because the one Starsky and Hutch fic I've posted to AO3 for the advent calendar last year, Hutch comes out to Starsky and admits that he has feelings for Starsky and Starsky just kind of thinks to himself, oh, okay, I'm going to have to think about this. And then I ended the story because it was not supposed to be a long story. And I was like, wait, did I just write Slasher Jen? I'm not sure. And I think I did uh, ultimately post it on AO3 under the Slash tag and had Starsky slash Hutch as the relationship. But is it? I think you asked me, and I was like, he confesses he's in love with him. It's not a gen fic. I mean, it's at least one-sided. It's at least one-sided slash. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, yeah. Oh, just, oh. I don't know. I just have lots of emotions right now. That's fair. Starsky and Hutch will do that to you. <laughs> and this, this fic is all about those emotions. And... I really love that it had such a great female OC who... Maggie was so great! Like, she had her own arc, her own motivations. She had to, you know, deal with her worst fears and conquer them. And that was really good. And I... The plot just... It felt very 
very well paced very like we're getting toward the end i'm like what else can happen to them and then suddenly there's a river between her and help and i'm like oh my god there's a river (laughs) that was probably really loud in the audio sorry about that rachel but i i think like the stakes just kept the leveling up and i was really impressed by that and the ways in which things were able to be solved a little bit rushed in the okay now they're in the hospital everything's fine but our heroes were unconscious for most of that so i can I can deal with it. Yeah, I mean, at that point, you want to get to the emotional payoff, which is the totally gen platonic declaration of love with the truth between them and this new aspect that they need to explore. <laughs> crackling energy. Yes, all the crackling energy. It's <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot going on there. And the illustrations are really good, too. I'm not always a fan of uh, photorealistic art but this this felt like someone knowing their faces well enough to draw them in new scenarios and i think that the the style is really good the one where like starsky is leaning over hutch and he's got the bandage over his eyes and you can see the streaks of blood coming down from his eyes on his face is it's pretty great so i was glad to to have those illustrations giving me a sense of this world and maggie and of starsky and hutch holding each other, which is what we're all here for, isn't it? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I will say, I I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to mention that we said that for the most part, it doesn't feel particularly dated, but there were definitely a few turns of phrase in at least one paragraph, which reading them now, I was sort of shocked at the the racist implications of them. But they're few and far between, and it's not the bulk of the fic. Like, there's a reference to wild Apaches and Aunt Jemima, um, and then this sort of extended joke about the the sun turning them black. So I guess if you haven't read this fic yet, fair warning that those references are in there, but they're such a minor component. And clearly, you know, this was a show that had a lot of black characters and, and did better than as we discussed in another podcast, some later TV shows on the race front. I think ultimately it doesn't take away from the, the fic, for me at least, but that did feel like a product of its time in a way that a lot of the rest of the fic didn't. Funnily enough, I feel like the setup has some of the most biting comments from Dobie and Huggy regarding race. Because when they're in the warehouse and they hear someone coming and they say Huggy and then Dobie comes in like, I know we all look alike. And that was so like, F you guys. Yes, and the Black Baron also, uh, at one point, he's like, oh, did I impress you? You know, I, I don't just tap dance or something like that. And th- there might have been one other comment too. Huggy said something. Yes, so you're right. Uh, the setup had more explicit comments about race than most other Starsky and mm-hmm. H- Hutch episodes. And I, I do want to agree with Jen that this fic, those jokes that we mention are racist, and that might be a valid reason not to read the fic. Um, but I, I did like that Dobie has a nice role at the beginning and at the end of the story, mm-hmm. and I like the way Dobie is written. Yeah, Dobie's great in this fic. Dobie is so fantastic. And it is true that, like, Dobie doesn't show up a lot in fic. Yeah. Like, I'm always complaining there's not enough Huggy, but there's really not enough Dobie. I don't know, I... I don't know. It depends on what you're reading. See, I search for the Huggy-centric fic, okay. and so Dobie doesn't show up as much in those. Mm. Yeah, whereas I, I find that a lot of 
her comfort is like case related fic and then Dobie's like often I read fic where Dobie doesn't have much of a role but usually he's there you know being their boss uh Mm -hmm. but I do notice when he has a particularly good role in fic because I I appreciate that so much and you're right that's not not often enough Mm -hmm. and it's I I often find his absence more understandable than Huggies if I'm reading something where they're not at work because like I don't call my boss when I'm <laughs> when I'm not at work like he's 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 their boss he's their mentor figure he's not someone that I want to ship them with because he has a lovely family and I'm uh, not interested in breaking that up whereas Huggy is their friend and I like things that add more to that relationship and open it up and use Huggy in interesting ways, whereas uh, Dobie is fitting a very particular role in a very particular narrative trope in terms of like the the boss who is secretly fond of our heroes, despite how hard they make his life, that I'm usually fine with him just continuing to inhabit that role. But he's great in this fic. I appreciated that the while the Black Baron was not in the fic, the Black Baron wasn't killed off. Yeah, um, I was so happy. I was <laughs> so worried that he was going to get killed. And I was like, that's actually why I didn't read it for a really long time. I, I think the fact that if, at the very beginning they say he's in the hospital and recovering is actually perfect. Because I think if he'd been in the fic, I would have been worried they would have killed him off. And also... Like, like <laughs> Monica, you found, like, you you were saying how, like, if we still have this guy out there with a plane who's willing to take weird missions into the desert, you don't have the stakes that we already have. So if he had his plane, something would need to happen to it and to him. And I I think him being dispatched um, and out of commission at the beginning of the story is probably the best thing for him so that he didn't get dragged into this mess of catastrophe. All right, so are there any final thoughts about Mojave Crossing we wanted to share? No, I think I, I think I said everything that I need to. I wound up Googling a lot of desert words to find out what they were, <laughs> but I've grown up on the East Coast and the Midwest, so deserts are pretty alien to me, and that's not uh, a commentary on the fix so much as my own ignorance. I, I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I think it's definitely worth a read. I say to everyone who has already read it and probably multiple times. Oh, <laughs> poor baby. Callie was very upset about the possible danger that our heroes were getting into in Mojave Crossing. They didn't eat for days, and I think Callie sometimes feels like she hasn't eaten for days if we take ten more minutes to give her dinner. <laughs> it's true. Well, it's okay, Callie. They they did get dinner in the end. We should probably feed this beast before she dies of hunger in the desert herself. Do we have any teasers for upcoming episodes? I know I might have uh, something to read about Dobie and, and his actor, Bernie Hamilton. That sounds fantastic. I'm excited. I mean, you know, once I get the script, there are definitely things I want to talk about, but that'll be for a little while yet. Okay. All right. Well, for now, we'll close this out. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Twitter at me the three, uh, no ends because Twitter didn't have room for them. You can reach us on Gmail at me and the and three at gmail.com. And you can find us at our WordPress at 
me and the and three dot wordpress dot com. Bye. 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 I'm not babbling as much as I was Wednesday. We're all babbling. (laughs) No, I could not string two words together.